famed coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode of the 57th episode of the Sidelines Podcast. And today's featured guest is Adrian Wojnarowski, NBA insider over at ESPN and somebody that I've grown up following and have really learned a lot from in the media industry. He and I's conversation centered on his career, his competitiveness, how working in the newspaper industry helped shape his career, his first time on Twitter, and even breaking Ray Allen's commitment to UConn. Before we jump to that conversation, I want to make sure that you are subscribed to the Sidelines Podcast. You can do that over on Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. If you want to support this podcast, another way to do so is to leave a rating and or a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to know what you think about the podcast and any possible future guests. Without further ado, let's jump to that conversation with NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski. It's time to go man-to-man with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in ESPN's NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski to the Sidelines podcast. Evan, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course, of course. How uh, how are things? I know we got to catch up a little this past weekend at NBA All-Star Weekend. Things are great. Yeah, just uh, back from L.A. and back here for the stretch run of... Uh, NBA regular season and then, and then into the playoffs. What's kind of your favorite part about All Star Weekend and the and the festivities that that surround it? Well, I'll say this: this year, I enjoy the fact that the trade deadline had been pushed up, so that by the time you got to All Star Weekend, the trade deadline wasn't hanging over, wasn't hanging over you. So you got to spend some time with people, visit a little bit more without interrupting conversations, <laughs> right. phone calls, or uh, I remember the last All-Star Weekend in L.A. Uh, was the Carmelo Anthony leaving Denver. Um, and I just remember being in my room most of the weekend on the phone. And uh, so that was just from a uh, productivity uh, point of view, and, it, and it, it was helpful to have the, the the deadline finished, and I just found it to be um, a little bit better. Of course, um, in that scenario. So, yeah. Sp- speaking of productivity, you you sat down with uh, Donovan Mitchell the morning after he won the dunk contest, and I, I saw the piece that you had on uh, on TV. And he's one of the one of my favorite kids that I've had an opportunity to kind of cover and watch grow. Um, from high school through college and now in the NBA. What was kind of your takeaway from that sit-down with him and, and from his performance so far this season? Well, he, he's beyond impressive. And, you know, you see this sometimes with late bloomers who did not go through, like, who were not identified at really young ages as being something special, didn't go through the AAU circuit. You know, just a kid who certainly worked really hard to improve his game at Louisville and then into the NBA. And, you know, it's so clear that he has spent time around, you know, I think the time he spent because of his father around the New York Mets and being in a clubhouse and being in a pro environment and seeing how David Wright interacted with, you know, players, you know, um, seeing how, you know, professional guys 
how the young players interacted with the old, with the veterans and sort of learning that hierarchy in a pro locker room. And the jazz have seen that they've seen how he's done that with them. And, you know, as the years progressed, you know, he's become the guy and this team is, you know, on a tremendous role right now coming out of the break 11 in a row. And he's played at a really high level and he has done just an extraordinary job of uh, deferring to the veteran players in terms of their leadership, you know, the Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert and, uh, you know, Ricky Rubio, uh, how he's sort of integrated himself into that locker room. But at the same time, those guys are telling him, Hey, you're the guy now, like when the fourth quarter comes, you know, go. And, uh, for a veteran team to embrace a player the way they have him. And it just speaks to his maturity. And I know the jazz feel like they, you know, they have someone here who is just a remarkable, certainly a remarkable talent, but really a remarkable young guy who's got just tremendous leadership qualities. Yeah, he, he definitely brings a professional attitude to the table. And, hey, it's it's not bad for a guy that wasn't even uh, ranked in the top 100 as a sophomore. <laughs> um, what, what would you, as I do with most of my podcast guests, I want to kind of dig into your career. Did you grow up wanting to cover basketball for a living? Was this kind of your what you aspired to do when you were when you were younger? You know, I've always spent most of my time, or I've always really enjoyed as a younger guy, most of my time in gyms. And I covered a lot of things as like a general interest, like intern um, at the Hartford Current in high school and college and did a lot of college basketball going to St. Bonaventure. I mean, I used to drive from uh, Olean to Buffalo, which is like, you know, 90 minutes, you know, usually in, well, always in the backwoods, almost always in snow. I had a little Chevy Citation that my dad got for me for $500. But I think for my senior year, they, did, they were tired of driving me from, from home <laughs> up bet. to Bonaventure. And so, so I remember like, I think like a four or $500 car. And so just getting bylines, going to like a Canisius Niagara game. And, you know, the only end times Herald would allow me to really write whatever I wanted. Um, they didn't pay me, which was great. It didn't matter. Um, I think I'd get like 10 cents a mile, local division three basketball and, do body stuff and and then uh so just getting opportunities like that at a young age but i always did want to be a sports writer there's no question about that i'm lucky i'm lucky in that way um that i just always knew what i wanted to do and tried to work toward it just got such great opportunities and people were always really good to me about giving me chances to write and giving me an opportunity to uh kind of hone the craft you know like i said i I got a part-time job at the Hartford Current while I was in high school and was able to keep that. You know, I grew up in Connecticut and then kept that when I would come home from my school breaks and say, you adventure, you know, like Christmas break um, or you'd have a week off or fall break or spring semester, summers. I could always go in the office there and work hours, you know, answering phones, typing up high school roundups, those kind of things. And then they, over time, would let you go out and get bylines covering minor league baseball, like local, you know, the, you know, the state high school or the state amateur golf tournament, a million things like that, where they just needed someone to go and, and, and you were thrilled to just to get the byline and get the opportunity. So, um, like those early 
opportunities were, were huge for me. And because it felt like it gave me a head start on, you know, I felt a little ahead of the game by the time I got to college because right. of um, that time at the current and most of my early success and then that, that or any success I had early on usually was built around basketball and being in the gym. And, and then my first real beat was, well, my first real beat was Mattituck Community College, like a JUCO basketball team um, in Waterbury. My first year in Waterbury, working for the Waterbury paper. And then I got the UConn beat when they were sort of ascending. Um, and there was a lot of interest in that and covered that, um, you know, at 22, 23, 24 years old. Well, your, your first 16 years out of college, you worked for newspapers. In, in what way did that role at the Fresno Bee and the record help prepare you for how you've shaped your career now? I think being in really competitive environments, you know, going to the Bergen record, which is, you know, really one of the best suburbans in the country. And, you know, I got to the record from Fresno and, and that was a very competitive situation. Andy Katz and I, I, Andy Katz and I both got hired at the same time in Fresno. He was the Fresno State beat writer. They hired me as a columnist from Waterbury. And we covered Jerry Tarkany in Fresno State and really had a blast. I was there for two and a half years. I think Andy stayed a little bit longer, maybe another six months, and then he went to ESPN. You know, that was certainly, you know, a tremendous, you know, tremendous opportunity. Tark was coming back to college basketball. That was sort of, that was where he had gone to college. He was very popular there. You know, and then the Bergen record, like you walk into the New York market and, you know, the New York Times and the Daily News, the Post, you know, people like Ian O'Connor and, you know, Mike Lupica, Harvey Ayrton, you know, I was a young general columnist and you would just get your head head kicked in every day by these guys. And you either had to get better um, and s- smarter at it, sharper, um, or you really got embarrassed because you were going against the best, really, you know, some of the best columnists in the country. And that was just great for me. And while it was different, certainly, than the path I ended up on, which was the NBA and how I eventually covered the league, but just, again, being in competitive situations, and whether it was on NFL, NBA, baseball, national events there, you know, you had to be at your best every day, or it was clear, you you know, or you, you were really exposed. And so... That all really prepared me for when I made the jump to Yahoo and started to cover the NBA full-time, which I had never done. Uh, just, I, I think the fact that, you know, you were used to just competing, and, and I think that is as important as anything is just that competitive spirit that you need to do the job well. You know, going to Yahoo, you know, I joined there with Dan Wetzel, and then Jeff Passan came in, Tim Brown, really a remarkable group. Uh, really a special group of, uh, of people. Dave Morgan hired all of us there. That for me was really the probably the best break or sort of the best opportunity in my career that really changed kind of the trajectory of my career that changed, you know, my career path. Certainly it's, it's, it's worked out well. Of course. It, it, when, when you went to Yahoo in 2007, you know, that being your first time covering the league full time, what was kind of your vision at that time in, in terms of how you wanted to cover the league compared to how you try to cover the league now? Are there differences? I think that I saw an opportunity to break news and I didn't sense there were as many people putting a great premium on news breaking at that time covering the league. Right. And that that was an opportunity to solidify myself, maybe my name and then Yahoo's name, try to make that synonymous with, with news breaking because it was not 
again, I, I, I didn't see a great premium out there by a lot of people on it. And that was the quickest route to people recognizing, you know, what we were doing. You had to explain at the beginning with Yahoo, like Yahoo Sports was brand new. And you had to explain to people, like people were used to going to Yahoo for their mail. Their, you get your mail there, you'd see the weather, you would get your, it was an aggregator of stuff, you know, the Yahoo homepage. Um, it might be world events and then entertainment. And then, you know, you try to get your sports story out on that front page. It was the most visited at the time. I don't know if it still is, but at the time it was the most visited page on the internet. So when you got a, one of our stories out there, it would click like crazy and it would drive a lot of traffic and, you know, breaking news and then, you know, telling stories, writing columns and longer pieces, uh, you know, Yahoo at that time, they gave you an opportunity to get on a plane and go see people get in front of people that was big, like to just get in front of people, explain, like introduce yourself, uh, explain what we were doing. But as you slowly broke news and people would see it, like they felt like, okay, maybe I should deal with this person. And we had guys doing it all over the site at the time. And, you know, Wetzel, you know, the whole group passing. And so um, it was a unique time for, for us. It was fun to be part of a startup. Really, we were building it from the ground up and, uh, uh, it was um, it was a great time. Did, did you have any idea at that time that the career that you've kind of developed now and cultivated was even a, a possibility? I did not. I, I came around the NBA at the right time. Right. I think the NBA became such a popular sport to be sort of read and consumed on the internet. And then I think Twitter. I think Twitter was a great, I was a great beneficiary of of Twitter and I remember the, one of the first big stories I felt like I broke at, e, at Yahoo was when Greg Oden, where Greg Oden had, I guess it was his rookie year, he fractured his knee again and was going to be out for the season. And I believe it happened in training camp, if I remember correctly. And I remember I broke the story. And I just remember it was sitting on our page. And it was like, how do I get anyone to know it's there? Yeah. Um, because I don't, I don't think I don't think I was on Twitter yet, and I remember just going, "Well, I broke it and I have it, and it's up on our page." Like I'm just sort of waiting for someone to see it, you know. <laughs> and they did. It was I remember there was like 50 minutes before like another competitor sort of said, "Hey, um, we have to confirm this," and it was a big story. It was the number one pick, and this was obviously a significant injury. It was the beginning of of more of those, unfortunately for him, but. And, and then I remember, you know, Twitter, we, you know, I got on Twitter the night of the draft in 09 and, um, my editor's girlfriend, who's now his wife said to me, I kept saying, I have all this information. I have like trades are happening and who teams are going to pick. And I know like I'm getting this information, but by the time I put it up on the site, like, you know, it's kind of the moment's gone. And she's like, well, why don't you get on Twitter? And I was like, yeah, maybe I should get on Twitter. And so we got on Twitter that night. I remember my first tweet was like, hey, Johnny Ludden and I are going to be putting our draft stuff up here. And people like, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember I gained like, I, I want to say maybe 2,000 followers that first night. I went from none to maybe 2,500. And it was, hey, this team's going to take this guy. And this team is, you know, this trade is, you know, this trade's happening. happening. It just went from there, and I said, "Well, this works, you know, this works." And it just went from there. But I, it wasn't a grand plan. It was just, it just felt like out of necessity, 
like let's well maybe I'll get on Twitter here and see if this works and and it, and it did so so uh, again I was very much a product of time and place and the boom I think the boon of the league and I sort of just rode that wave I, I think it was as much that as it was anything I was doing I'm sure there are many Woj but whether it would be a, an editor or a colleague or or even someone you've covered is, is there anyone that you could point to and say you know they've had the biggest impact on my career maybe it's a couple people Les Carpenter who I work well we worked together later in our career at Yahoo but when I was a young reporter on UConn I worked in Waterbury and Les worked at the Bridgeport and then it became the Connecticut post. And we were both pretty, we were really just, he was out of Missouri. I was out of say Bonaventure and, you know, UConn was, uh, you know, the big beat in Connecticut and they were becoming a national program. And, and I learned so much from watching him work every day, how he interviewed people, how he wrote, how he carried himself. Um, I didn't really know how to, I'd been around things, but I didn't really know how to act. Like, we would go cover U.S. Open tennis, like our papers at Sutton City. And you, or like, we'd go to, like, you could go to Nick game, you could go to U.S. Open, you could go to things in Boston. Like, they let you act, they allowed our paper, they allowed us to act bigger or to play bigger than really our newspapers. Right. And I didn't really know how to act in all these places and how to carry yourself. And I just learned from watching him and competing against them. And he crushed me most of the time. Like Les is as talented of a guy as I've ever been around in the business. And, you know, he went to the Washington Post. He went to Seattle and the Washington Post and Yahoo. He writes for the Guardian now and the London-based paper, you know, here in the States. Uh, you know, we became really close friends. We still are really close friends. At that time of my career, I don't know what would have happened to me or how I would have developed if I didn't have to go up against him every day. And we used to sit in this little press room at UConn and Gamble Pavilion and, and write our stories. And uh, I felt such pressure because I couldn't write as well as him. And I couldn't come up with the story angles he could come up with every day. And he sort of taught me how to like have a plan every day when I'd go up there on the beat to I, I always see he had a plan walking in of what I'm going to write about today and who I'm going to go talk to and how I'm going to structure this story. And, you know, from the moment I woke up in the morning, I had to be thinking of, he told me to be thinking about how I was going to attack that day on a beat, that the beat was kind of a serial. He's always said the beat was kind of a serial and you're, you're developing characters along the way, which are the players and the, because you're, you're developing a story over the course of a season you know, and um, I never looked at it that way. I always kind of saw each early on. I just saw each day as a one-off, and then you said, "No, they're all sort of interconnected," and and that's how you build a readership. And I never thought of it like that. And yeah, he really shaped the way I did the job. Do it. You know, I, I was. I mean, there's so many guys like Mike Vaccaro from the New York Post. We went to Bonaventure together and and learned from him. And when we were students, and like I'm really a product of a lot of just being around a lot of great people and just stealing, really just stealing and emulating all of them. And uh, I, I've just been around them my whole path. So I, I've been, I've been lucky. It, it sounds like you're also a, a product of, of your competitiveness too. Yeah. And you have to be in this business. And I think this business is harder than ever. Like I, it's harder to ever that to make your way. Like I'm grateful that I, that I had the path I had. I didn't, I couldn't get big. I didn't get the big newspaper internship, Chicago Tribune and, New York Times and 
Washington Post, Boston Globe. I couldn't get a sniff at those things. And, you know, it was it was small newspaper to a little bit bigger newspaper to a little bit bigger newspaper. And I wouldn't trade that path for anything because it really prepared me and made me fight every inch of the way to get rec- get recognized for my work, for people to know who I was. I mean, it took a long time. Nobody, nobody really ever heard of me until, and I always tell young people this who, and I get it, you want everything right away. You know, I was in my mid-30s before I think anybody even heard of me um, in the business. And, you know, the, the miracle of St. Anthony doing that book certainly changed the trajectory a little bit of my career. But, yeah, that competitiveness um, and having it every day to not be satisfied, to just, you know, to always be on to the next thing. One thing that does surprise me about the business a little bit now is when someone will do something well, whether it's break a big story or write a great piece, how much time is spent like sort of doing a little bit of an end zone dance and celebrating it and wanting to do an interview everywhere in the world about it. Right. Instead of just getting to the next story and the next, the next day. And, and I've always tried to do that to not be satisfied. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's just been ingrained in me. And I, I, I think it's an important trait to have um, in this business because you know you're, you're always going to be judged every day, and so I, I never lose that, or I try to never lose that, and want to just sort of stay, um, you know, stay focused sort of on that path. In, in a world of scoops, and we're talking about breaking news, you know, you've become and developed into the golden standard in terms of doing that in the in the NBA. Can you point to a, a piece of breaking news that you've spent the most time on or, or maybe a, a story that you've written that was maybe the most satisfying? I don't know if there's one that's the most satisfying. I always kind of feel like the last one is. <laughs> um, I really feel like I'm just relieved when I get one and I'm on to the next one. And I I don't know if there's one that stands out. Um, I'm proud of a lot of it. But, you know, I, I sort of wake up in the morning wondering, hoping I'm going to get something today or something that I've been tracking will come to fruition. Uh, you know, the first, I remember the first real story I felt like I, and it's, it was a different era was, you know, when I was covering UConn and like Ray Allen was committing to UConn from, um, Dalzell, South Carolina. I like it. A recruiting and story. I, I want to say I found out around, I remember this, I remember that year UConn was recruiting Ray Allen and let's see, he signed early, and UConn played a game at NC State, and Ray drove up for the game. And I'll never forget this. Ray's in the UConn locker room, and there's this big, tall kid with him, Howie Dickman, who was UConn's assistant at the time and went on to be a really good head coach at Central Connecticut. I'll never forget this. He, we're in the locker room, and Ray's in, and there's this tall, really skinny kid who came to the game with him. And I, I didn't know who he was, but he was, he was big. He was tall. And um, the UConn assistant, I remember him running, I don't know, he sees the kid, runs out of the locker room and grabs like a UConn media guide out of the press, press room and runs back in and hands it to him. It was Kevin Garnett. And Garnett was in high school. Back. Garnett was a high school player in South Carolina, and he came with Ray up to the game. And I didn't, you hadn't even heard of him yet. And, um, <laughs> and I think that was before Kevin had moved to Chicago for his senior year, I think at Farragut Academy. And I just remember, like, here's Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett standing in this locker room. Plus, Carpenter and I walking around going, I don't, I don't know who that is. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you. And uh, you're going, we've got two Hall of Famers in, in here and didn't know it. But uh, but I remember Ray Allen. I want to say I found out around, like, 6 p.m. 
I think I got him on the phone. He said, yeah, I'm committing to UConn. But you had, like, there was nothing you could do with that until the paper hit it. Like, you know, your deadlines were midnight, so, and the paper comes out at 6 in the morning. And so you're just hoping no one's going to find this out between, I mean, that's a long window of time. Right. Um, there's nowhere to tweet it. There's nowhere to <laughs> a little different now. The web. <laughs> there was none of that. Right. And so I remember the next morning running to running to the papers to see if I broke it, see if anybody else had it. Um, and I don't remember overnight if like one of the recruiting services got it or something, but I just remember having it. And I remember, I just, I remember said to him on the phone, <laughs> could you not tell anybody else this <laughs> tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember what he said, but I remember just though it was just such a different day. Um, it was just a different time, but I just remember that like the butterflies you got in your stomach going to like the newspaper box to see you looked at your competitors, the Harvard Current and you know, any of the other papers, and you wondered if they had it too. And like you're buying up all the papers, and you're like you know you open it up the box and you're you're folding the paper back to get the sports to see if it's there. And uh, you know I, I still get butterflies over that i still love that feeling and uh that competitiveness so you know it's pretty neat to have a job or have a career where you can sort of measure success and failure day to day and that there's like a scoreboard there every day um everybody knows if you won or lost that day and uh it keeps you uh i think hopefully humble because you know it is such a it can be such a fine line between success and failure in this and um, but also there's bigger stories to do and broader stories to tell and broader context to put things in. And there's lots of ways to tell stories, tell stories on podcasts now and television and do it in different ways that it's always changing and it's always becoming more, you know, you're, you're being challenged in new ways all the time. And I think that's great. I think that's what keeps all of us kind of coming back to it every day. You, you mentioned uh, the podcast, and you, and you started a podcast a couple of years ago. Uh, it's called the Woj Pod. Um, if uh, if you want to get out and 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 subscribe to it, but what, what was kind of your vision when you started that? Because you know the podcast is, I mean, they've really taken off as of late. Was was your vision just you know get with the best guys in the league and kind of tell their stories? Yeah, I wanted to be guest-oriented and guest-driven um, less. And I do do pods where, you know, Bobby Marks and I, our front office insider, will, you know, we'll talk about what's going on in the league and, you know, trades, possibilities, and issues. And I'll do that with lots of different people um, at different times. Um, but I, I like getting out with people who are, you know, newsmakers who are interesting, whether it's players, coaches, executives in the league, who and tell stories and use it as a mechanism to kind of have some long form, a really long form interviews and conversations. And uh, I do think that's gained some traction and, you know, there's so many different ways to do the pods and there's so many different pods and I think everybody brings something different to it. Like, you know, Zach Lowe and I don't do them the same way, but I, I, he's tremendous at him and he's, he has high level conversations with people that, on the game and tactical stuff that I, I probably can't have. He's far more fluent in it than I am. And, and like, so I learned listening to Zach, how he does his shows and structures his conversations and, and his like give and take back and forth with people is unique. It's unique to him. And so I think everybody, I just think with this, it's like a lot of other things is, you know, you try to play to your strengths and the things you do well and understand everybody's a little different. And 
like who would want to listen to a bunch of pods that are all the same. And so I think everybody goes about it a little differently. And, uh, you know, for me, that format has, has worked, you know, it's had some of an audience for it. And so, uh, and I think people in the league hear other people do the show and see, and, and, and that hopefully allows them to want to be on it because they see like, Hey, I can, you know, I'm not constrained by, you know, the limits of a, an article or even a short where I'm edited or, or my comments could be are edited or, you know, even a television piece where, you know, you might sit with somebody for 40 minutes and only use two minutes of it. And where, you know, I can sort of talk in complete thoughts and explain my thought process on something that I'm doing in the league as a player, a coach, uh, whatever. And, uh, and so that's been great. I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I think such a big part of this is having a curiosity and still being curious. And I remember when JJ Reddick started his pod for us back at the vertical and we talked about, it. I said, you're going to be great. I mean, I really felt you're going to be great at this because you have a natural curiosity about people and what other people do. And not everybody has that. And, um, like you just knew JJ would be great at it. And it, as it turns out, his pot is really as good as anybody's. Like, I, I like, I mean, I know you've listened to it too, Evan, and he's tremendous at it. I, I'm not sure there's anybody I, I like listening to more. I like a lot of podcasts. Yeah. He's got and a great it was because personality. He's got this, yeah. And he's got this natural self-deprecating. He can laugh at himself. He asks great questions. And I think that's sort of a prerequisite for it. And it's, it's just having, you know, having curiosity and never losing that. And uh, to to feel like you always can learn, you can get better, I mean, hopefully you can you can sort of take your audience along for that ride with you. Now you told uh, GQ back in 2015. I want to quote you. You said the work you do over the rest of the year sets you up to hopefully have success in these intense periods. And and you were referring to these those intense periods as the trade deadline, the free agency. Those obviously are are two of your busiest times of the year. What what goes into prepping? for those times behind the scenes? Cause I, you know, the everyday fan doesn't, doesn't see that. Well, probably really thousands of phone calls and hundreds of in-person conversations and <laughs> tens of thousands of text messages. I don't, I don't know what the number is. <laughs> I'd but, love to, uh, I'd love to see that, that, uh, that phone bill on the text message line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the unlimited, you know, probably the unlimited phone bill was probably a great benefit for anybody I've worked for. Although I remember one time, we came from the Olympics. I covered, I was actually covering free agency, the Olympics in London. And I had a phone bill. I'm not even going to say it to you. What it was. I don't, I can't even tell you what that <laughs> phone bill was. It was like, they paid it. They paid it. But I'd never, like I never kind of swallowed so hard when I put in something for expenses. It was, it was big. And I remember I, I got the Dwight Howard trade from Orlando to LA. I remember sitting in the hotel lobby at like 4 a.m in London, sitting on a chair in the lobby, getting, you know, getting the details of the trade. I'd been working on it all day and then got to trade that night or morning, whatever it was there. And so, I mean, just think of like <laughs> international call for hours and it was going the whole month there. And anyway, it was, it was a crazy phone bill. Uh, yeah, it's just a lot of, you know, for those windows of time, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of preparation, a lot of, developing of relationships and trust and having a sense where things are, you know, being able to anticipate where things are going. And a lot, there's always a lot of different scenarios in play going into trade deadline, free agency, the draft. And yeah, that's, 
those are things you plan for and you map out and you hope that you're in position to be able to get at most of those stories. And, uh, but it is a year round process. Like you don't, you know, you can't just call people on July one or call people, um, on February, you know, eighth day, of the trade deadline or July one, like it's a constant conversation that's gotta be going on 365 days a year. And that kind of gives you the ability to be competitive, uh, in those windows and on those days is by the time you put in the rest of the year. And, um, you know, you just start over again, try deadline ends and you start thinking about the draft and you start thinking about free agency and again, putting yourself in position and then all the work that goes on in between those dates. It's just, um, you know, you're building, um, you know, you're, you're really building toward it. Was there a point covering the NBA where you started to feel, you know, this confidence where you felt like you could get any piece of news? Cause I mean, I'm sure starting out, you know, you got excited about one scoop every month, and, and, and that obviously grew. Was there a point where, where you just felt like you could kind of get to any story you needed to? No. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I I mean, I I try to never presume anything. Um, I try to – I hope I can. Um, you're never going to break everything. Of course. And, you know, you want to put yourself in position, you know, for the big ones certainly and, and have a sense of what's coming, anticipating – what's coming and the dynamics that are leading to hirings, firings, trades, free agent moves that, you know, there's sort of, again, that constant conversation with people that you know is that you have a sense of when it's coming because based on circumstances, relationships that are dynamics of, of others that are leading to things, um, you know, again, like to me, I, I wake up every day just hoping, you know, to not get my ass kicked. I mean, that really is the motivation. They really, I don't take anything for granted. I, I really don't. And I don't take the relationships that you build with people that help you gather information. I don't take those for granted and you have to work at them all the time. And, and here's the other thing. Like I love the people in this industry. I love talking to them. It never feels like a chore. It never feels like, all right, I got to talk to this guy for this story. I don't feel that way. Like it's fun. I mean, it's, it's fun in that, I really like the people. And so it's fun to get on the phone every day. It's fun to go have, you know, all-star weekend to go have breakfast with a coach to go have, you know, coffee with a GM um, and talk about what's going on. Like to talk about what's going on in their lives. Like we all have families and a lot of us, some of us are at the same stages with uh, our kids or our parents. And, you know, those are conversations that sort of connect people. I mean, I, I could tell you, like, just this weekend at All-Star Weekend, like, you know, there were a couple GMs and coaches, you know, I went and visited with, and we probably, like, probably 5 or 10% of our conversation was about, like, what was going on with their team and stuff. The rest of it was, you know, how far into the doghouse are you with your wife right now? <laughs> you know, like, uh, either traveling or trade deadline was passed, and we missed something at home, and, and you sort of commiserate and laugh, uh, laugh about it, or, you know, uh, whatever. So, um, you build relationships like that too. And, and, um, like, I always feel like I'm learning from the people I cover. I'm learning from the people that I spend time with because, um, they're smart people and, and, and they're high character people, uh, in almost all instances. And like, there's a lot to learn, like in your own life and, and how you do your job. And, you know, like, listen, my, 
I've said this before, like my, my dad worked at a factory for 30, 35 years. And like, that's real work. Like you work second jobs and that, and like, that's real work. Like I'm lucky to get to do what I do. And, and I don't take it again. I don't take it for granted. Like, I don't think like, like we aren't owed these jobs. Like we're lucky to have these jobs. There's a line down the street and around the corner of guys and uh, men and women who'd love to have them and probably would do and, and would be awesome in them. And, and like, you know, I think the minute you think any of this is owed to you or there's a new, there's a special set of rules because you've accomplished this or that, like you will be gone. They will, like I said, they will open up a whole new can of you. And, um, <laughs> and I think you have to remember that and, and, and respect it. And again, like it gets back to, for me, I learned so much covering high school football and local events. Like the greatest, the hardest thing you're ever going to do in this business is covering like a high school football game on a Friday night, right? Like you got to keep the stats. It's probably muddy, right? And rainy. You got to keep your play by play. You've got to, your stats have to add up. You got to call those into the office. You have to write your story. You end up at like a Seven Eleven payphone back in the day um, with the little couplers on our phone, on, on our, the little Radio Shack word processors we had. And, you know, coach, your team gets beat 35 to nothing and the coach is pissed off and he just wants to get on the bus and leave. But you've got to get some quotes from this guy. And to me, that's like where you learn to think on your feet in this business is how do I talk that coach off the bus to come talk to me? How do I get him off that bus to come talk to me? And you learn to think on your feet and you learn to adjust to the chaos of the moment because there's always chaos. There can always be chaos in this business. And how do you manage it and stay calm in it and, and, and clear-minded? Those are my greatest lessons. And I, I, would, I hope young people get those opportunities now to learn in that way because it really prepared me, it prepared a lot of my contemporaries by coming up doing those kinds of beats. And, you know, it's tough. Like newspapers, smaller newspapers have – there aren't as many of those entry-level opportunities – newspaper stabs are smaller and to learn the business from the bottom and come up that way was I don't know if I could have done it any other way and and so I'm grateful for all that but I think about all that when I do what I do now because like I said the hardest thing you'll ever do in this business is cover high school football the minute you like lose that perspective I think you you know you can lose perspective on this thing and you know I'm I just I feel lucky to get to do Again, it's all I ever wanted to do. Like I never have aspired to do anything different, and I still don't aspire to do anything different. And um, you know, I really, you know, uh, yeah, I, I really love it, and, and um, you know, I, I still have fun with it every day. Well, that's great advice. Uh, and Woj, the last question for you, and something that I like to ask every guest that comes on my podcast. And it, it's funny asking this question after what you just said, but if you weren't covering the NBA for a living, what would you be doing if you aren't writing? I don't know what else I am qualified to do. I don't know what else I could do. I could tell you what I would love to do. I'd love to cover the Bonnies for a year. I'd love to go back. <laughs> I was waiting until it went Carol. to that direction. <laughs> yeah, I would love to cover my alma mater. Like I'd love to cover St. Bonaventure, especially this season where – Knock on wood, might go to the NCAA tournament uh, again. If you could tell me I could move to Olean for a winter, which is quite a winter. You know, my wife and I both went to St. Bonaventure. Um, her family mostly went to St. Bonaventure, too. 
I think her retirement, like her end game here is somewhere pretty warm. Mine is still like, can we go back to Olean? Can we, can we hang around Bonaventure? Can we go to Bonnie's games? And, and I think that's a conversation still to be had in our household, <laughs> but I would do it. I would do it if she would ever let me. So. Good luck with that conversation. <laughs> I appreciate it, Evan. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time out. I know this was a big chunk. I really appreciate you uh, jumping on the podcast. Oh, man, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun being on it. I'm a big fan of your pod, Evan, and and uh, have a tremendous amount of respect for how you do the job and, and and what you do. So it was it was a lot of fun being on with you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Sidelines podcast, but I wanted to tell you about another podcast over at Fox Sports that we are really excited about, and that's Alexi Lalas's State of the Union podcast. That's right, U.S. soccer across the globe. Each week, Alexi will give his State of the Union on American soccer as it rebuilds for the future. Subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts right now. Now, back to the show. This is Aaron Rodgers. They're going to air it out. Rodgers does this better than anybody. End zone. Cobb. Touchdown. Unbelievable. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. And you're listening to the sidelines with Evan Daniels. Would like to once again thank ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski for taking the time out and jumping on the sidelines podcast. He's obviously extremely busy this time of year and uh, really appreciate the time. He's obviously a guy that uh, I really admire and I read regularly and uh, a guy in this business that I've always looked up to uh, from afar. So uh, was thrilled to have him on the podcast. Before I let you guys go, I want to uh, dig into Basketball Without Borders. It's an event that is in unison with NBA All-Star Weekend, and uh, I had a chance for over the three-day period to uh, evaluate a number of players from 36 different countries. A uh, handful are currently playing in the United States, but it's just a tremendous event that brings in some of the best young prospects from across, across the globe. And uh, I want to talk about three players uh, that, that are on the college route that are currently playing in the United States that I thought raised their stock at that event. And I want to talk uh, about first a kid named Christian Coloco. He just recently made his way to California. He's playing with Birmingham High School. I actually had an opportunity to evaluate him not only at Basketball Without Borders, but also at a high school game on Friday night. And this kid is going to really take off in the 2019 recruiting class. He's six foot ten, a seven four wingspan, and has a thirty five inch vertical. He's only played ten organized games of high school basketball. This is a kid that came over from Cameroon uh, at the beginning of the season and just became eligible not too long ago at Birmingham. And uh, I think he has a lot of potential on the defensive end of the floor. He has the obvious length and he does a good job of walling up and really impacts a game with his shot blocking, with his deflections. Uh, he's a very good athlete. He runs end to end. And uh, for a guy that's just now playing organized basketball he has a tremendous set of mitts I even saw him make a 15 footer in his high school game so Christian Coloco is a kid that you're going to continue to hear more and more about over the next couple years as I mentioned a 2019 prospect Another 2019 recruit that I was impressed with at Basketball Without Borders is six foot seven combo forward Tyrese Samuel. He goes to Wasatch Academy and it's a kid that's a, a native of Canada 
And I, I said he's six seven, but he's strong. He's tough. He's physical. He has the ability uh, to play the power forward position and, and some out on the perimeter as well. He's a good athlete. He plays with with very good energy on both ends of the floor. And I had an opportunity to speak to him after camp, and he told me he wants to visit. Uh, Syracuse, Florida, and Wake Forest, and this is a high major prospect. He, he's not uh, extremely uh, highly ranked uh, by recruiting services. I think we have him right around 122 over at 24/7 Sports, but that is going to move up. Uh, I was very impressed with him. I, I thought he was one of the most productive players in attendance, and uh, he, he he has the look of a top 75 type prospect. And uh, I just think he can impact the game with his rebounding, with his toughness, and. And how hard he plays uh, he, that energy sometimes you can't be taught so was really impressed with Tyrese Samuel and the third player I want to discuss was Josh Green he recently uh, transferred to IMG Academy he's a native of Australia and I, I thought he was really impressive. This is a kid that has put on some weight since he's got out to IMG Academy, right around 15 pounds. He now checks in at 6'5", 190 pounds, has a 6'10 wingspan, and I, I think he's really built his body, allowed him to play a little more physical, and he's a scorer. He's a scorer. He, he's a very good athlete. He can shoot the ball well off the catch, but he can also go off the balance. He shoots it well on the move. Uh, so Josh Green, I think he's a kid with a lot of upside. He is also in that 2019 recruiting class, and I, I think he's going to continue to rise in that class now, those three guys are all in the United States, as I mentioned. Uh, a guy I wanted to, to just mention, he's not on the college route, but I thought he was as productive as any player at Basketball Without Borders, Leandro Balamero. And I had an opportunity to watch him uh, last summer, and he, he continues to improve. He, he's out of Argentina, and he's a scorer. And every time he shoots the basketball, I feel like it's going to go in. He's six foot five, 170 pounds, six seven wingspan, has a max vertical of 32 and a half inches. But he's a scorer, and he he has really good shot mechanics. He shot the ball with confidence, uh, and he ripped the nets, man. He he really shot it well at basketball without borders. And, and like I said, I thought he was one of the most productive uh, and best scorers in attendance at basketball without borders. That was obviously uh, a great event, and there was a host of uh, front offices and NBA. Scouts there, and uh, it was just a really good setting, and the kids played hard, and the games were competitive, so it was fun to evaluate this past weekend. I want to thank you guys for listening to the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. Before I let you go, I want to make sure that you are subscribed. You can do that over on Apple Podcasts. Hit the subscribe button for me. Also, uh, leave a rating and review. That would be helpful. It's another way to, to support the podcast. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.